I want to look today at our first lesson from the First Testament, the first book of Kings. This is a really dynamic story, and, I, and as I look out at this crowd and imagine there are some people who really enjoy a good story, I want to say, have you read First Kings? <laughs> this is something else, a page-turner for sure. There are some really good youth Bibles out there that um, open up these stories in some language that's more easy to understand, and go browse Barnes & Noble and see what you find, because this is a very eventful story. We actually are reading the middle of the story. It's three chapters long. First Kings starts in chapter 17, and here we are in chapter 18, and then next week we'll, we'll take up chapter 19. But let me tell you the setting for this story. There has been a drought in the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel, you see, is now a divided kingdom following the conflict that erupted after King Solomon's reign. And the northern kingdom is called Israel, and the southern kingdom is called Judah. And it's in this northern kingdom that Elijah the prophet lives. Ahab is the king of this northern kingdom. And there has been a drought in the land. In chapter 17, you learn about this drought. And Elijah is sent by God to a particular wadi. That's a, a place where water flows, kind of like a ravine, and it will dry up over time. When you go to the Holy Land, you can see wadis. Elijah is sent to a wadi and is told that ravens will feed him there, and he goes. And he's also told that he will meet a widow, the widow of Zarephath, as we know her. And he is to ask that widow to feed him. And so Elijah goes to this wadi. He is fed by ravens. The water drives up. He meets a widow. He in engages her in conversation and asks that she bring him a cake. Now she is fully aware of this drought. And she says to him, I have enough oil and meal to make cakes for my son and me, a cake for my son and for me, and we will eat it and then we're going to die. This is the last that she has. And Elijah says to her, yes, please make me a cake too. And you will see that the oil doesn't dry up and the meal will last throughout the drought. I can imagine this widow saying, whatever. You know, what's it going to matter whether I have a six-inch cake and my son has a six-inch cake or whether we both have four-inch cakes and we give this guy one too? What's it going to matter? We just might die a few hours earlier than we would have if we both had bigger cakes. And so she does. She makes the prophet a cake. And, as he told her, the oil and the meal don't run out. He stays there with that widow for some time. Further on in this 17th chapter of 1 Kings, you learn then that her son falls ill and seems certain to die. And she says to the prophet, what have you done? You've brought us through death into life only for him to die now. In a sense, you know, you just kicked the can down the road. Now I have to outlive my son. And he's the one who is to provide for me. Elijah, knowing her need, prays over the son and pleads to God that he be made well, and indeed he is healed. And she says to him, I truly understand that you are a man of God. That's just in the 17th chapter. 
So then we come to this 18th chapter, where Elijah is still in this land, the drought is still happening, and there's a desperateness about it all. The prophets of Baal, Baal is the god of agriculture. If there's anyone who can make it rain, it should be that guy. Jezebel, who is the queen, married to King Ahab, is a devotee of the prophet Baal. And she is intending to use her political power to change the circumstances in that land. There are many prophets of Baal. And she wants them to do their work in praying and pleading to the God so that rain might fall. Elijah knows that there are Hebrew people in this land, and this is getting confusing, and he draws their attention to it. How long will you go limping about with different opinions, hedging your bets? Which guy should we rely on? And so he brings them to a point of seeing who worships the living God. And what a dramatic variation this is. You know, though, how it feels, don't you? When you want something and it's outside of your control. When you feel your whole life depends on it. Rain is a perfect example. We can't make it rain. We've had times, maybe you've had times in different parts of the world even, where you've longed for that. And you would do whatever you could to change the circumstance. If it meant getting up early, you'd get up early. If it meant tilling the ground, you'd till the ground. We are deeply in touch with our powerlessness in this story, recognizing that there are some things we can't make happen. So here are these prophets, desperate to change the circumstance, pleading that rain will fall, and they do anything within their power, including lashing themselves in an attempt to change the circumstance. Elijah lets them wear themselves out. And then it's his turn. He takes 12 stones, each to, to symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel. And as we read about it, he puts the wood on top of that and the calf, and he pours water over it, saturates it. Now remember, this is a drought. Can you imagine standing there and watching that water be poured over the altar? I personally would have a feeling of it being wasteful. Elijah pours water over it and prays. And as we see, read in this story, it becomes a flame. Elijah wants to remind those present, and by nature remind us too, that we worship a living God. A living God. Not one who is asleep. Not one who goes for a walk. Not one who might be out of the room. We worship a God who is alive and is in relationship with God's people. That can be hard to imagine. I feel sometimes that I encounter people who are trying to imagine how God is, and they have a nicely constructed box that they've put God in. And then they're mad at him for his limitations. God is a living God in relationship with each and every one of us reminding us that he provides for our care, for what we need. And we might say, then where's the rain? Because that's what we need. And God says, I got you. 
I got you. We are invited to be in conversation with God because God is living. Jesus reminds us that God is living. God comes among us alive, interacts with humanity, changes the circumstances, allows himself to be changed when love's glory can be made known. It's a relationship. We don't have the beat on God. We cannot pull levers and get God to do particular things. But you know what? God doesn't pull levers on us either. We are invited into relationship. And it's in that relationship that we become co-creators with God in the reality of our lives. It's a messy process. But it is one that is filled with God's love. And that can change the reality of our very lives, the world in which we live. It's a risky process, too. You'll get to hear next week when you're here that in the 19th chapter of 1 Kings, Jezebel's angry. She's been made a fool of, and she doesn't appreciate that. Elijah ends up on the lamb because his very life is at stake. People realize who is God. They realize that God is living in relationship with God's creation. And it is in love that God is in relationship, wanting to make that love known in the world. We're invited into that relationship. That's the good news. That's the good news we've been given. That's the good news we have to share. And now we are charged to share it. Amen.